You're listening to Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm wonderful. What can I help you with? Well, um, I have a list of several questions. So I'm a non-traditional applicant. I will be applying next year and I'm a career changer. So okay. currently I'm a registered dietitian and pursuing medicine. Okay. Awesome. Let's hear. Okay. Um, so my first category is pertaining to the health profession scholarship program, um, which I know you went through. Yep. Um, and I listened to another episode where you were talking about how recruiters might give the wrong information. <laughs> um, so no. I'm kind of pretty, <laughs> never, no. Um, but I'm kind of already experiencing that. So I've received conflicting information regarding on if I need acceptance or not to apply to HPSP. Yeah. Um, so the run recruiter tell me that I just need my MCAT score and a list of schools I plan to apply to. Mm-hmm. And I had another tell me that I need an acceptance letter. To apply. Yeah. So, so I think they're both right. And depending on what the answer they're giving you is, is the question. And, and so the information I'm giving you is how I understand it. It may have changed. Uh, but from how I understand it, you can apply with an MCAT score. You okay. can't officially be accepted until you have an acceptance. Okay. So it's two okay. different things. You can apply, but you can't be accepted. Okay. That or, makes sense. Or awarded the, the scholarship, I guess, is the proper terminology. Okay. okay. So then I probably wouldn't get notification of it until after I submit my um, acceptance. Correct. So you you apply for the scholarship, you go through all that stuff. And I, and I forget if they will have you go through like the whole MEPS process where you go through a physical. Um, I, I forget if that was post actual approval or not. I'm assuming that's after because that's a lot of physicals they may be doing for students yeah. who may not get in. Okay. All right. And then my next question is, if I theoretically get in or get into U-Shoes, how would you compare military residency competitiveness to civilian residency competitiveness? What do you mean by competitiveness? Would you say it's comparable in terms of the rates of people? Well, I guess everyone probably gets a residency, um, but in terms of the more competitive specialties. So again, are you, are you talking about competitiveness to actually get the residency or competitiveness in terms of career aspirations after? Oh, to get the residency. To get the residency. So I don't know is the answer because I've never really looked into it. My assumption is that it's probably similarly competitive because typically the, the military residencies are only for military members. And so there aren't a lot of military residencies, but there also aren't a lot of military members applying for those residencies. So I think the numbers work themselves out in the end. Um, I don't know. I I know there's data out there that you can find in terms of how many of each available residency kind of are offered each year. And so there's, and I forget off the top of my head, the name of the, there's a board that convenes every year and says, okay, in, in five years, we're going to need uh, 10 orthopedic surgeons. In five years, we're going to need X number of OBGYNs and family practice docs or whatever, right? So so every year, they're, they're trying to figure out their numbers. And yeah. that data is somewhat public. You, you can typically find that information. But the information I don't think is available is how many students are then applying for those residency yeah. spots. And then- yeah. 
it, there may be 10 residency spots, but only five of them are military spots because that's all they have. And then the other five are, are civilian spots where they say go match in the regular match. So at the end of the day, there, there's a couple questions that you need to ask yourself. So I understand the question about kind of residency competitiveness, but if that's what you're using to determine whether or not you're going to apply for HPSP or not, I would say that your thinking is skewed. The first question you should ask yourself is, do I want to be in the military? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then after that, you figure it out. Say, okay, I want to be in the military. I want to be a doctor in the military. I'm going to apply to HPSP. I know doing that, I may be limited in terms of what I want to do. You may go through medical school and be super interested in physical medicine rehabilitation, being a physiatrist, PM&R. In terms of the Air Force, I know Air Force specifically, I'll talk about it. They don't allow PM&R docs. Like gotcha. they, they, they just won't accept you for residency. At least that's, that's how it's been historically. It may have changed recently. And so you may come out and go, well, I want to be a physiatrist, but, but you won't let me be a physiatrist. Too bad. Well, you're still in the military. You're still a doctor, which is the first question that you needed to ask yourself. Are you okay with that? Are you okay looking forward, getting to the point when you're applying for residency in the military, being told that this new uh, specialty that you fell in love with is not an option for you? Then you, okay. have, you have multiple options from that point. You can mm -hmm. just go be a general medical officer and, and serve your time and get out and then go to a residency. Or you can choose to do another residency that they'll accept you for. Okay. That clarifies that. Thank you. Um, okay. And then the next category is pertaining to the MCAT. Um, so I'm juggling with two different timing options, which I know, I guess the best time to take it is when you're ready to take it. First and um, foremost, definitely. <laughs> yes, first and foremost. Um, but aside from that, the two dates I'm tentatively considering are January 2023 or March 2023. Yep. And there's pros and cons to both. So I'm finishing four more prerequisites. Okay. Um, I have Gen Chem 1 and 2 and Physics 1 and 2. Um, so how important are Gen Chem 2 and Physics 2 in terms of the MCAT? So Physics 2, I can tell you, typically not as important. Gen okay. Chem 2, I think, is, is going to be more important. Okay. Um, and then so tentatively, I was thinking of taking it in January and postponing those two. Potentially, I could squeeze Gen Chem 2 in before the MCAT, but it just kind of depends. Um, and you've taken, and it, you've taken organic and biochem and, and those other ones? So, yes, but they're also very old. Okay. Um, so I don't remember a whole lot of information from them. I am enrolled in prep courses. So I'm hoping that's a sufficient refresher to become more brushed up on those. Um, yeah. But I guess I'll see how I'm doing on the practice tests when yeah. I go through these topics. I'm, so. I'm surprised you've taken those, but not Gen Chem 1 and 2. It, did, I'm assuming potentially you took chemistries, but they just aren't med school prereq chemistries. Correct. Okay. So for nutrition, the organic is more important. I don't know if, um, I guess Gen Chem does still apply, but it just doesn't require as many years of science as yeah. med school. So, okay. Um, yes. Um, and then if I have content gaps, so that kind of actually pertains to my next question. 
um, because a lot of the prereqs that I have are old. Is it better to practice concurrent with content review or make sure I fill in the content gaps first and then do my practice? I, I think it's fine doing the, the practice with your content review and just not give yourself a hard time when you struggle with the questions, knowing yeah. that you're still refreshing on the content. Yes. Okay. That's kind of what was happening to me. So. <laughs> and I, I remembered it, but not really. Okay. Yeah. So my next category is my activities. So I've been um, using the math app to kind of put them all in. Mm -hmm. um, and after watching some of your videos, I removed some of the fluff, but I'm down to 12 activities after I add some shadowing in there. Um, so I'm currently sitting at about 7,000 hours clinical, 500-ish of volunteer, and 550-ish of research. Okay. Um, so my question, well, my first question is pertaining to my volunteer activities. Um, so I've done a hodgepodge of different short-term things since 2017. And when I started doing it, I wasn't applying to med school. So it, I didn't really pay too much attention to tracking or um, doing one thing consistently for a long period of time. Yep. Um, so tentatively, I'm planning just to put that as one mass category of volunteering and then describe the different things I did within that. Is that yeah. advisable? That's perfectly okay. fine. Yeah. Awesome. And then I did see too that the MAP app does uh, prompt you to put in a point of contact for that. Since they all are different activities, should I just pick a person or does the AMCAS application also, also do that? No, you would just pick a random person, whether it's like the most recent one or the person who knows you the best and just um, just pick pick based on that. There's a 99.9% .9 chance nobody's there that, that, that they're not going to be contacted. So yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. That makes me feel better. Um, and then I also had several certifications um, that I was also planning just to lump into one. Is that also advisable or yep. would you recommend listing? Okay. Um, and then with that, I have several options to fill in the remainder because that puts me at 12 and I'm kind of juggling between different things. So I could put in hobbies, I can put in jobs that I held during undergrad, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any advice in terms of how to balance my activities. Yeah, put, put in the most important ones too. Okay. That's it. So there, there's no like, you need to have one of this and one of that. Like there, there's no games to be played there. So uh -huh. if you've put in, you, you look at your timeline and go, okay, these are the things that I've been doing. That's 12. Uh -huh. And then I always recommend putting in one hobby. Uh, and then jobs from undergrad, sure. Why why not put them in? If if they take up a significant amount of time, they may explain grades in uh, from your your college years. If you also worked full time or close to full time, whatever that looks like, I, I think those are perfectly fine. A lot of students, especially non treads, make the mistake of only putting clinical type experiences into okay. their application. And I, I had a conversation once with someone and he only had like three or four activities as a non-trad. I'm like, what have you been doing with your time? He's like, well, I was working as like, a, I was a manager at Walmart and I didn't think it was important to put on there. I'm like, no, like that goes on there. It shows yeah. a lot about who you are, both in terms of what you've been doing, taking up time, but also some intangibles, things that, that I'm not going to see anywhere else. If you're a manager, then I know you have good communication skills, organization skills, time management skills, all of these other things just by putting that on there. So uh, focus on non-clinical stuff, just things that you'd be interested and excited to talk about. Okay. Thank you. Um, 
I think that kind of answers my next question. So um, several of my work activities fall under multiple categories. So I could uh, classify them as a leadership military or clinical. Um, so I used um, mapped advising to kind of get some advice on how I want to organize those. Um, and the feedback I got was basically I can pick whichever I think fits best, which I think they kind of all fit. So I kind of made them balance between the three. Um, do you think that's a good approach? So balance between the three of what? The three categories. So um, leadership, military, and clinical. So I've held several jobs that would, all three would fit. Yeah. But yeah. Um, Again, I, I think at the end of the day, don't play a game and, and trying to force things here and there to, to paint this picture. And if you feel like you have enough clinical experience in, in one arena to show, and one of your jobs potentially had a lot more leadership that you want to highlight, then that's that's fine to do. There's there's no right or wrong way. And, and something I often say to the Application Academy students, and they get really mad at me, is that there are no rules in the activity section. So you can what? do whatever you want. Okay. As long okay. as it makes sense. Yes. The the right. one thing that I, I always caution against is double dipping hours. So if you have one job where you had some leadership positions and it was also clinical, don't count the hours twice. Gotcha. Okay. That, because that was another thing I was debating. So I'm glad you cleared that up. Okay. Um, and then just generally speaking, um, I know I have to take into account every other area of my application. So if I'm able to get in a good MCAT score and if I'm able to write a good personal statement, do my stats look good enough? So uh, if I get A's in the classes I'm taking now, I'll have a 3.4 cumulative GPA and a 3.51 science GPA. Okay. And my graduate GPA is 3.93, but to my understanding, some schools don't really favor that. Some do, just yeah. depends. Um, yeah. And what's your graduate degree in? Uh, nutrition. Yeah. So the the nutrition side of that graduate de degree is probably less hard sciences so that it'll be potentially weighed a little bit less. Um, if the grades that you're taking now, you end up at a three, four, three, five kind of GPA. The question is, what does the overall trend look like? If, if I were to ask you, what are the last 20 or 40 credit hours? Do you know what that potentially looks like? Um, not off the top of my head, but it does look kind of up. So my last year and a half, it was closer to the four and then it dipped on a little bit and then dipped up a little bit, but okay. it's, the dips were closer to like 3.2, 3.3 and then up again. So it was mostly A's and B's, but I got more B's in my very last semester of college. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's, it's hard to, to kind of say yes or no without looking at all the numbers in, in front of me, but it, it, those numbers don't scare me. Obviously, MCAT is a big part of it. And then the rest of your story at the end of the day, being a non-traditional student and, and the journey that you've been on all contribute to that story. The, the holistic kind of uh, application review is great. And you have to have the stats to get to that point. I think a lot of students are like, well, I have a 2.8 GPA and a, and a 480 MCAT score, but it's a holistic review, so they're gonna look at everything else. I'm like, no, sorry, they're never gonna look at your application with those stats. So they have to be good enough to get to the point where the school is comfortable with your stats, 
comfortable with your academic ability that you're going to pass medical school in four years and pass the boards the first time. That's always the bar to meet. And with those grades, I think you've met that bar. And then hopefully MCAT score, you do well and and uh, removes any sort of doubt there. Let's hope so. <laughs> um, okay. So I got through these questions a little bit faster than I intended. So I do have a backup question if you're okay with that. Yeah, let's go. Okay. So um, I was listening to another video that you had about your personal statement seed and then Partially through it, I think I confused my seed with my pivot point. Okay. Um, so long story short, I, was, I wasn't really observing a doctor because it wasn't a shadowing experience, but I was in the field and seeing a doctor operate. So I had a lot of questions for him. Um, and basically he kind of turned the question back around on me based on our conversation. Like, why don't you become a doctor? And my knee-jerk reaction was, oh, that's silly just because the way I grew up, I didn't ever think I'd become a doctor and I wasn't really exposed to the clinical setting until I became a dietitian. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of led me to that point where I did some retrospective reflection on wanting to become a doctor. So in my mind, I, I was thinking that was my seed, but then I heard conversations with other students. Well, you ended up in healthcare prior to that. So that's not your seed. That's your pivot point. Um, But I'm having trouble narrowing down what my seed is if that's not. Yeah. So, so here's, it's a very confusing thing, right? And these, this is the make, make believe fake made up world that, that I've created with seeds and watering events and stuff is for you as a registered dietitian, your seed is becoming a dietitian. Why did you want to become a dietitian? That's healthcare tangential enough that that's your seed. And then at some point, potentially you have this pivot point where you're like, oh, shoot, like I want to do more. I want to I want to become a physician. Now, the one thing I will push you is just to keep digging. And if you ever thought about being a physician earlier, but dismissed it because like, oh, like where I'm from, I can't think like that and, and whatever, right? Whatever that reason is, then your seed is really that going towards medicine and you just, you stomped on that seed, never, never uh, nourished it. So it, it never grew. Okay. All right. So I think that covers most of it, I guess. Um, well, I do have one more backup question actually. Yeah, let's go. Um, you're going through HPSP. Um, one of my considerations is the stipend is to my understanding a flat rate no matter where you go to school. Yep. Um, if I end up going to school in a really expensive area, let's say it's in New York or DC, um, do most HPSP applicants, at least to your knowledge, have additional sources of income while they're going through or do they rely solely on that stipend? So most school, I won't say most, a lot of schools will not let you have additional sources of income. They, okay. they won't let you work. Part of, part of the paperwork that you sign is like, hey, I'm not going to work. Uh, I was dumb enough to work during medical school. I don't know if I signed anything that says I wasn't going to, but I did because I needed to. I was dumb. And I had lots of credit card debt because I wasn't good with money back in the day. Um, and so the, the thing that students do is you just you potentially just take out more loans. Um, and so you, you go to your financial aid office and go, hey, like, Here's what I'm I'm making it, and I had to do this a little bit as well when I went to to medical school. I I would get the stipend back then. I would think it was like twelve hundred bucks. It's a lot more now, um, and 
I lived in in Westchester County, one of the most expensive counties in the country. And so I needed a little bit more money to cover that gap. And so the school did some some number crunching and said, okay, here's our cost of attendance for the school. And every school has that number. Uh, It includes tuition, room and board, food, transportation, all of the, the things that kind of go into the cost of attendance. They'll look at what the cost of attendance is. They'll look at what your scholarship is and the money that you're you're uh, given as a stipend, and go, okay, there's this gap potentially that you can you can still take out regular federal loans for. Okay, it's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I think that covers the questions that I have right now, and then I'm sure I'll have more when the cycle opens up. But uh, hopefully, I can get into the next application academy. Um, yeah. Any other closing comments that you have for me? Yeah. So uh, just a, a quick little plug for the sponsor, Blueprint MCAT, as, you, as you're starting your MCAT prep. The earliest, fastest thing that you can do right now is go sign up for a free account if you haven't already and start looking at those flashcards that they have. They have over 1,600 <laughs> flashcards. And just while you're sitting there doing nothing or standing in line doing nothing, uh, open up the flashcards and, and start learning what you need to learn. And that, that's included in their free account. Okay. Awesome. I'll do that. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, I look forward to having you in Application Academy. I'm excited. We have big plans to change it for this next next year coming up. Uh, and I'm really excited. It's going to be a huge benefit, I think, to students um, with our, our changes as we bring on more advisors onto the MAPT team, having more voices and more, more help for students going through Application Academy. So stay tuned for that. Great. Joining at a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Well, good luck to you. And, and I look forward to working with you even more in the future. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me here on Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Did you know that we record these live on Facebook at 3 p.m. Eastern on most weekdays? Search for Medical School HQ on Facebook and like the page to be notified. Don't forget to check out our amazing Facebook group, The Hangout at medicalschoolhq.net slash group. 